0: Hey, what's up? It's Reflections of a DJ, The Road Podcast, presented by DJ City and Beat Source. I'm your host again this week, Nudia. I know you missed the guys. They're still on vacation, but good news. They will be back next week, starting October 6th with brand new episodes for you. We got such good feedback on our first best of that we thought we'd bring you Another one, this time we're going to highlight the trials, tribulations, and obstacles that some of the guests here on the podcast have had to overcome. This is the Best of the Road Podcast, Volume 2, Inspiring Stories. First off, we head to Miami for episode 112, when the guy sat down with the legendary DJ Laz. At birth, doctors told his mom he had a 0% chance of walking. Laz's recollection of beating those odds was truly one of the most inspiring stories. You've got
1: a very interesting I childhood yeah. story. I do, I do. Yeah, and and it's a, and hopefully, whoever's listening to this, it'll inspire you and never let anything hold you back. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I wasn't supposed to walk. Yeah, yeah. I was supposed to lay flat in a bed my entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's what they told yeah, my mom I know, when I was yeah, born.
2: I saw that. The,
3: you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's crazy. and well, it's like at three months, right? They, uh, what do you call it? They, you had 17 surgeries or well, something I, I, crazy? I, I don't right? know
1: what the timeline, I'd love to know where. I'm gonna Google myself <laughs> out there, ladies. you would be
2: like, damn, yeah.
1: But I was born, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My mom, my brothers, and sisters were born in Cuba. My mom was 37 years old when she had me. Mm. So all of a sudden, oh, shit you're pregnant. Oh, that was unexpected. Okay, well, boom, gives birth. And the bottom of my feet were touching my chest. Bottom, think about that for a second. The head got quiet. Wait, the bottom, I, so your foot, because this is on film and all that shit yeah. too. The bottom, like this, mm. touching my chest. It was bo- just resting like that. On both legs, yeah, just there. So I have no joints. I didn't want to borrow you for a second. Push my arm back. Mm. Push it. I'm not holding them. Yeah. Do that oh, one. Shit. Yeah, I'm I don't not, want to hit you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I won't hit because it, it won't go back. I have no oh, joints. Wow. Oh wow. So when I'm on the phone and shit, it's like, you know, yo, what up? Oh, and, oh my god, that's some cool hip hop shit. I had a white girl tell me that one day. She's like, oh, My God. I fucking love the way you hold your phone. Is that like some cool hip hop shit? It's like, no, it's having no joint shit, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For real. That's Uh, wild. For real. (laughs) These fucking videos in (laughs) the (laughs) future. I'm telling you. (laughs) And. Dude, it, it it's just insane. So here's the doctor comes in. He tells my mom that
3: does look fucking cool though. The hole in the shit uh,
1: Yeah. By the way, hang out with me. Hang out with me for one week. You'll be holding your phone the same fucking way. I just want to God.
3: that it's shit. It's happened
2: to all my friends. Yeah. It's happened to all ha- my friends. press on your phone now. And just hold it for the camera.
3: Guys. That's, <laughs> nice, that's literally how I hold uh, like look, one of my boys' phone that no, I right. know is a dirty no. motherfucker. Because
1: right this arm don't bend it, I compensate <laughs> with my wrist. Uh huh. So I'm like, yo, what up?
3: That,
2: that shit look that cool looks as hell. Fly. Yeah, that's some cool hip hop. <laughs> <thing. laughs> that shit look fly as fuck. Right. <laughs> so it's dude, like I Laz is feeling himself. Yeah, yeah I'm the phone. motherfucker. <laughs> so here comes the. guy. is that the reason why you do voice text as well? Oh no! I just fucking lazy. Okay, cool. Okay. Because <laughs> I saw him do that, and I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe." Yeah. No, I figured that shit out, and fat fingers suck. Yeah, okay. I hit three of them
1: at the same time. I'm like, "Yo, I'm just using my voice," and I love how people tell me, "You can actually do that," and it it does it perfectly. I'm like, "Yeah." They're like, "Oh, you're a radio guy." <coughs> I'm like, no, just fucking talk. Yeah. So doctor comes in, tells mom, hey, "Listen, your son was born with a birth defect." I hate to be the one to bring the bad news to you, but your son will never walk. Mm. He'll lie flat in a bed his entire life. Fuck. He won't sit. He won't stand. He won't walk. My mother says, do me a favor. Don't ever repeat what you just repeat. What you just said to me, don't ever repeat that to anybody. Definitely, she said, don't tell my husband because he doesn't have the faith that I have. That's what my mom said about my dad. The doctor says, ma'am, mind you, this is a very long time ago. Right. I'll be 48 December 2nd. So, 47 years ago, they were like, what the fuck is that? That was a Cuban pretzel. Put mustard <laughs> yeah. on it. tell at the fair. You it's know what I'm saying? Yo, for real. This shit was like this. So, cool. The doctor says, ma'am, whatever you want, boom, leaves. Now, this is the part of the podcast that's going to get a little serious, and then we'll get back to fucking around. So, mom's in the hospital bed, thinking crazy shit. She's got... Two daughters, my brother, and now me. They're perfect. Now they're telling her that I'm never going to walk. Mm. Mom sitting in a uh, hospital room by herself. She says that Jesus appears in front of her. All her hair stood up. Back of her neck, na- I mean everywhere. She was like in awe. She said, this is what he said, Have faith in me, your son will walk don't believe what the doctors are saying gone imagine imagine that manifesting in front of you my mother said I don't know what just happened I know what just happened but I can't believe it just happened that's when she said I'm going to name him Lazaro and this is very Cuban of me but this is Saint Lazaro Mm -hmm. This is the saint of healing. Mm. So that's when she said, I'm going to name him Lazaro and I'm going to make a promise to St. Lazaro through the man up top that if he walks, I'm going to get a dress made out of burlap potato sack and wear it for a year. Day in and day out. Check this shit out. So one day she says she's home and I was doing exactly what the doctor said I'd be doing. Lying flat in bed. You know, I was in the crib. My mom was doing dishes or some shit, mm-hmm. and she said that she looks over, and I sat up.
2: Mm.
1: Mom's like, "Hold up, call the doc." Doc, Laz is sitting. Mrs. Mendez, oh my God, that's a miracle! Congratulations, da 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 da. Keep me posted. Cool. Now, to her, this is a huge fucking thing. To him, he's probably thinking the bitch is crazy. (laughs) She calls the doc back. Doc, Laz is standing in the crib. Mrs. Mendez, oh, my God, I don't know what to say. Hang on one second. What's wrong? Hey, if
2: this
1: bitch calls again, I'm busy, okay?
2: Okay, yeah, it's Taloca. All right. No, his fucking... Fucked up. Okay. His fucking voices are crazy. Hang on, don't say shh. And
1: say what <laughs> Mrs. Mendez. Yes, please keep me posted. Let me know. Da 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 da. Cool. Some time goes by. They calls the doc back. She goes, Doc, Laz just walked. Mm. Doctor says, Mrs. Mendez, do me a favor. Check yourself into a mental institution. It is physically impossible for your son to walk. He has no joints. She goes, Oh, so I'm crazy. He goes, you need help. Oh, I'm on my way to the hospital. So she pulled up to the hospital. Mm-hmm. There was a gang of people outside. Mind you, you, know, my calves are in a fucking jar somewhere. So, boom, we pull up, 200 people outside. Doctor takes me out, sets me down on the ground and all fucked up. Wow. I walked to the dock, took, you know, took steps. So the fucking doctor felt that his knees didn't move for 20 minutes. Because imagine everything that he had learned, everything that he had studied, everything he read, every video he saw, every, you know, just everything. I just defied all that shit. So now this motherfucker's like, Y'all I don't know what happened. But now that it happened, now let's go. Yeah. And that's when all the surgery started. And I don't know the timeline. I don't know what, what you Googled, but yeah. I don't even know. I was a baby. Yeah. So, but I got, you know, I got 17 surgery scars all the way down the back of the leg, on the foot, over here. I got them everywhere. But you know what? It's made me who I am.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I'm saying? So I turned sort of like Pitt, a negative into a positive. I said, okay, fuck, I limp. Can't get rid of it. I'm going to call myself the pimp with the limp. I've always been a ladies' man. I've been a very blessed motherfucker in that department. <laughs> because what I lack in physical ability, I have in personality. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you make a bitch laugh, you feed her, and you fuck her, you got her.
3: Damn. That's Jane. That's your that's, that's my mom. <laughs> I you were saying that. No, I've been saying, saying that for
2: the five forever. If <laughs> you, know, you can up. make her laugh, you 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 treat her to some good tacos, you get her. <laughs> I'm Mexican, yeah, so I don't you tell you to make
1: <laughs> For sure.
2: That's but, fucking insane. That's crazy. a crazy story, right? That's yeah. uh, it's inspiring. It's real, one man. of the
3: most beautiful stories I've heard. Oh, you man. know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you. Honestly. but, but yeah. it's,
1: hey, Listen, one thing about me is I'm real.
0: Family work-life balance has always been a huge topic on The Road Podcast. And in episode 75, the amazing Tina T shares her story of always wanting to become a parent. But she wasn't going to wait for her Prince Charming to have her happily ever after. So she decided to become a foster parent.
3: I mean you obviously love kids right yeah i do so you you were telling me earlier that you you're a foster parent
4: yeah i became a foster parent in 2016. what
3: is that how do you how do you do that
4: uh you start by just going to your local city website and there's info sessions every week so you start there and then you go through um eight weeks of parenting classes uh, that are these three-hour classes and then you go through background checks and fingerprinting and friend referrals and home inspections and all that. So the whole process, the, when I did it before, it took me about a year. Yeah. And then this time I just reopened my license again and they've shortened it to like two and a half months.
2: Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you had the kid for a year?
4: No, I had four kids mm-hmm. over the course of a year, one at a time. Okay. And this was actually when I was still DJing, like I had to obviously do a little bit less of the out of town gigs, but I was DJing in town. It was the first time I ever found myself at a gig at one and one, two in the morning, where they said, Can you stay an extra hour? And I like had this moment where I was like,
2: My babysitter's <laughs> leaving in <me at> 20 minutes. <laughs> like, you hear about <laughs> it, yeah. but I
4: was like, I can't, my babysitter won't stay past two. Yeah. And then I was like, And obviously, I never got booked there again. Really? And, like, I mean, it's it must be <laughs> oh. hard. Like, well, it's especially hard when you're like a single mom because mm, I don't, yeah. I had to, babysitters are expensive. Yeah, like a couple hundred dollars. That's crazy. A and night? Then, well, when you're out, you know you're out from like nine thirty p.m. to two a.m. Yeah, yeah. Are there
3: some single? mothers DJing out there? I don't it has think to, I not don't know. That we know of. I, I like really am like trying a, to think. Of, not, not I have a new them.
4: respect for single moms, for I don't sure. Think there especially are. if they're working full time during the day. You know, I have a flexible schedule, so I made it work. Yeah, but it's hard. Really so wait,
2: you didn't have all four at once, right?
4: No, I had one at a time. I was oh. licensed for girls ages six uh, to up to eighteen. <laughs> Throw my
2: children here, I know, Kirk, I know. please. I just
3: hear all four at once. And yes, my mind goes in the. Yes. Well, how does that
2: work? Like you have them for a couple of months, and then what's the next step for the for the child?
4: Well, you never know how long you're going to have them because yeah. it depends. Like the court could say you're going home today. Or the judge could say, your parents are going to jail. And so Mm. there's just no way of knowing. Uh, The longest placement I had was a 17 year old girl and I had her for six months.
3: Wow. Wow. Why do you want to do this?
4: Well, I'm always just looking for ways to make my life more difficult.
2: sounds like it. (laughs) Is that what really is?
3: No, I have this, we all (laughs) have a
4: bucket list, right? Um, And on my bucket list is I want to experience being a parent. I don't think I necessarily need it to like come from my body, but I also have zero control over meeting the right person or when I'll have kids. so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was just kind of like my life hack to having kids like I can do it now.
3: Yeah. Mm. Is there also a fear to have your own kid? So you were like, let me try it out
2: this way. see how it
3: works. Not
4: a fear of parenting a kid. It's more of a for me personally it's like and I think there's a term for this where you f- have a fear of giving birth like yeah. can you imagine? Pushing out like a watermelon size, from, it just oh. freaks me out to think about it.
2: I don't think all babies are watermelon size. Unless like you most, you would definitely. I was watermelon a watermelon size. size. <laughs> I was. I was going to say that, <laughs> but I don't think that everybody comes out like me, Tina. You'll be okay.
4: I don't know. I don't think it uh, requires you know to be a mom to be a parent. I don't think it has to come from me. So you yeah. don't want
2: to go through that whole process of carrying a kid for nine months?
4: Mm, I mean, I'm okay without it.
2: Now that I think about it, I don't even think I know any female or women DJs that have kids. I do.
3: I do. I do. I do. Okay. I don't Not know. many. I don't know any. Yeah. What's that? Uh, that shorty Wendy? Yeah.
2: I forgot the her name. Wendy Cakes? Wendy Cakes. I don't think I know. Wait.
3: She was like a go-go dancer in San Diego at Stingery. Yeah. Uh, and then she started DJing.
2: Yeah. She got like three kids now. She's still she got DJ. three kids? Yeah. God damn.
3: I know she still DJs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like does corporate shit. It's, but, uh, all right, so... I was thinking you
2: did it because it was like your love of kids.
4: No. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, it's a bucket list.
2: (laughs) No, she has love for kids. Come on, guys. I do love kids, but it's not
4: usually the first thing. Like when I started the summer camp, it was more the love of DJing, the love of summer camp, and then kids were like the default. Like originally it started as, you know, when they have those DJ conferences for the radio. Cause I think I was talking to DJ Revolution and he was on the radio and they pay to send them to Jamaica Mm -hmm. and then they like spoil them with hookers and performances and all that, you know? So I I was like, wow, that'd be so cool if they did something like that, but at a summer camp.
2: Yeah, but no hookers yeah okay good
4: but like an adult yeah. you know and then i thought <laughs> that sounds like. and i thought well that will, won't be fun because it'll just be like a shit show of people drinking and you know mm-hmm. turn into like a festival so then i thought well maybe we make it a kids summer camp and it just kind of evolved into teaching that next generation so did
3: you do the foster shit before the camp spinoff after after
4: mm-hmm. i started camp spinoff in 2010
3: In 2010?
4: Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's been a long time. I didn't know it had been that long. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I knew it was a while from now. So what made you... So you didn't know shit about kids,
2: but you wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a quick question. <laughs> what, how do so you walk us yeah. through? You pick up the kid. What's the icebreaker? What I'm do you take? It um? doesn't even sound. Doesn't even. I, make I, sense. I, I'm trying to figure out. Like the what? Icebreaker. You, yeah, like what do you do? Like you take them. I don't know McDonald's or you take them to a dinner. What do you like to? Uh, that's McDonald's I'm is the icebreaker. I, I don't, don't know. Let us explain, <laughs> explain something to us. Every, I'm this.
4: realizing. Yes. Welcome to my weird world. No, it it's not weird. weird.
2: It's pretty interesting. So, <laughs> um.
4: When you pick up the kids, they actually show up with Okay, what do you pick
2: them up at? Like there's core? this place
4: downtown okay. in Las Vegas called Child Haven, but okay. it's like institutionalized living. Wait, there's we're
2: talking about spinoff? Or no, we're, we're, talking no about we're talking about the foster, foster kids. kids. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Bouncing around. Okay.
2: <laughs> get it together, here, crooked rock. No, okay, we're talking about foster care. Yes. Yeah, okay.
4: So um, I get a call from someone at placement and they're like, hey, we have this awesome 10 year old girl and she needs a home. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you make Sounds- it sound like Uber. <laughs> well, their pla- placement workers are like used car salesmen. Okay. That's their job. They're like, we see you're only licensed for one but we have a sibling group of three. We can change your, li-. you know, they're like that. So I'm like, cool, I'll come down there, go down to Child Haven, which is actually double double barbed wire like a prison. It's, wow it's Good. actually like now illegal so anyways i'll wow. get to that later but go down there meet the kid pick them up so they leave with literally a garbage bag damn because they yeah. don't have anything so yeah. the first thing you do when you bring a kid home is we go to target or walmart we get underwear socks they don't have anything so shopping spree mm-hmm. awesome. school school supplies all that stuff that's like step number one um and the kids are cool yeah there was one time where a girl cried the whole way in the car wow. and it didn't the ice didn't break we went got all the clothes and everything and then when we came home my two dogs she was sitting on the couch and she did not break a smile once it felt mm-hmm. so bad my dogs jumped up on her and she immediately starts this huge smile laughing playing with the dogs and then it was broken and we yep. were good mm-hmm. so
2: so you never meet them before that moment like right?
4: No, you pretty much have to agree to it. When you yeah. go down there, you're going because they don't want you shopping for kids, and you right. don't want to meet a yeah. kid and leave without them because then they feel like, what did they do wrong? Exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah. I still don't understand why you're doing this. It's, she no. wanted to be a parent, and uh, not necessarily just, do it by herself. Like have herself. She just wanted, to, yeah. you know, experience the. I, I don't. I don't. I, he's don't, understand. Understand. I don't get <laughs> it. No, he's a dad. kid. I don't get. I thought that when you have get a foster kid, that you take care of it from at the young <laughs> age until like they're like adults and are ready to yeah. leave the house
4: so the goal of a foster parent is to reunite the kids with their biological family as long as it's safe
2: oh okay
4: so you do have to give them back to sometimes a family oh. that you might not agree with but you also really have to not judge so
2: you really kids. can't get attached to
4: the yeah. kids you're like
2: purgatory pretty
3: mm. much yeah. bit,
4: right? that is yeah. the hard part because they do go home but that's fostering I'm not adopting oh, adopting oh, is like okay. where you want to keep the kid yeah. forever mm-hmm. fostering is I, I literally just want their foster, care, their experience in foster care to not be traumatizing. They can look back and be like, "Yeah, I was in foster care, but I met Miss Tina, and she's this cool DJ, and we got to have fun." Like that's the way I want them to look at their experience. And a lot of kids have really horrible stories from foster care. So yeah. if
0: I can be that one like good thing, then. That's kind of yeah, what i do it's it. cool
2: that's, that's crazy that's amazing
0: next up we head into an early episode of the road podcast episode 22 where mega man opened up about the abuse he suffered as a child and how it followed him into adulthood but music always served as his escape
3: i'm obsessed and he got me obsessed but <laughs> we talk about pain and creativity mm-hmm. and how pain and talent or pain and creativity are almost hand in hand of so like the, the, the people who experience the most pain always end up being highly creative or very talented in something because it's an obsession in this one thing and it's almost like an escapism right definitely. Borderline. yeah yeah for me yeah definitely so I mean going into that i b- I believe this episode will will be surrounded around pain and creativity and creativity so when he yeah. says uh he was being bullied and you were talking about abuse like basically like molestation right well right. it
5: was It was. I'll give you an example it would be like if I didn't eat what she had made then she would say Michael you know I have a surprise for you and I'd walk in and she'd beat the shit out of me with whatever random object object she had at the oh, time oh so it was
3: really abuse
5: yeah, yeah. Oh, okay oh, this was a was, babysitter yeah this is a babysitter okay yeah,
2: what yeah. was she latina because that sounds like some mexican uh, traits there
5: <laughs> well you know i i would i would try to tell you what she was but i disassociated so much and i barely like- rem- i almost don't remember three years of my childhood because of this
4: wow yeah sounds crazy But
5: see i didn't really know that it was this bad until um, a few years ago i started having anxiety for no reason. And I was trying to figure out where it was coming from. And Mm. then that's it kind of led back to digging real deep to find out that it was that
3: when you were getting abused like this, what was what was the like, how old were you three,
5: four, five, six? I mean, it's hard for me to really remember, Mm. because it's I'm serious, like, it's like blacked out almost. And, And then what's weird is when I go to try to think about it. It's like my brain almost like goes to something else. It's actually really blocked. So Your brain is trying to protect you almost? Yeah, for sure. Oh, wow. That's crazy. So I remember a few key abuse moments, but I remember the time when I kind of, like, woke up and figured out something was wrong. Because when you're that young, you kind of just think it's normal. Well, for me, I thought it was normal, so I didn't say anything to my parents. I didn't say anything to anybody else because you don't know anything when you're that young. Mm -hmm. But I started to think something was wrong when um, she had, like, nap time. And I remember being so afraid to ask her to use the restroom, I pissed on myself. <laughs> that's, really? when I, that's when I figured out something was wrong. Yeah. Wow. But it, So through that, let's just say if I have post-traumatic stress, uh, the problem with that is if you don't get help, you don't know what good and bad is anymore. So then he, all humans have that ability to prey on the weak because that's, that's ingrained in our biology kind of thing, right? So if you don't know what's bad and what's good, then you can't stand up for yourself because mm-hmm. you just don't know. So mm-hmm. then you just get bullied. So I think a lot of people that get bullied are also, maybe sometimes they've experienced something that's traumatic, and they can't figure out who's to stay away from. So that's when music came in to play, you know, thank God for that, and then work through that shit. Okay. Yeah.
3: So in in the early stages when you were growing up, you talked about, I mean, you spoke to me earlier about piano, Mm -hmm. and I remember, I have such a bad memory, but I remember you telling me you were like a genius in piano. Well, well, you weren't telling me, but, like, you did a test or someone said you were a genius. I mean, he wasn't, like, an arrogant prick, like, I'm a genius in piano. But, like, (laughs) I remember remember there being a test about, you know, you being, like, a genius in piano.
5: No, it it, it wasn't necessarily piano. It was my piano teacher had hinted at to my family that maybe they should find somebody else to teach me because I had been learning things almost instantly. So your
3: piano teacher was like, yo he's becoming almost better than me or like he's exceeding my
5: my <laughs> my tutelage or not whatever, better than right? him but yeah 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 it was just they thought i could be great let's just say i had the potential to be great and that
3: was like right. you said age seven
5: yeah i was pretty young. i think i was pretty young you're pretty young yeah seven because i right took there.
3: piano lessons and i was i yeah. i don't remember shit from it but yeah
5: yeah but i lost a lot of the skills from back then i lost some of the muscle memory because i I stopped because I got kind of bored and also was probably experiencing weird feelings of going to, you know, going to elementary school and all that stuff. So So.
3: it was that abuse from the babysitter. And then also at school, you were kind of what, like socially awkward. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then you were getting kind of bullied at school.
5: Yeah, actually, I think it was like the first week of kindergarten. Some, some kid early. Yeah. Some kid, some kid had punched me in my face and uh, there was blood everywhere. And I remember, I remember I lied to the nurse. About why I had the bloody nose, but I couldn't tell you why I lied. It was almost like I was used to making a story the whole time with the babysitter, oh. so it was just a natural instinct to lie about. Oh, I fell, but then it, the school nurse said that she had heard from the kids that somebody had actually hit me. Shit. So I was already making up lies to myself that young. Yeah, I mean that's how deep you know. Yeah, things can affect fair. you for that long. So I mean, serious.
3: I don't want to. I don't want to go back into this, but I'm just a little curious. Uh, so did your parents find out about the babysitter?
5: They found out later, but you have, cause see a lot of people don't, it's hard for me to explain it because I'm telling you, my brain will like, it right. like goes to some other place when I try to really think about this. Yeah. So I didn't really know that it was abuse until I had a really bad breakup in a relationship. And then I went to counseling and then he was, he was like, well, there's gotta be something else that's making you choose these women that aren't good for you oh. and then and then that's when we went through all the past and then he was like oh no 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 that was fucked up you're lucky to be alive right now you know you're wow. lucky that you haven't started doing heroin oh, and doing man. all kinds of other shit you know you should really work on this you should have been working on this for years and wow. years afterwards wow wow so, okay damn but i didn't know that Oh my god did you see the defiant ones um uh, Dr. S- Dre and hbo J-B? shit i only saw the first two
2: episodes i think man you better go, go back because <laughs> there was a part where dre said his therapy from tupac dying and from his son dying was just straight music oh yeah yeah no, had he not sure. had that he probably would have been on drugs or probably would have like probably oh, yeah. died so like for you like was that just a therapeutic thing yeah or i did mean you even know it was therapeutic at the time or is it, you know what i mean it's i mean he didn't know i didn't know, know. It was therapy at the time it's just um, it was just to like get away from yeah. abortion abortion. Plus, bullshit
5: type of fr- shit. Plus all my friends that I had grown up with started using heavy drugs, you know, like the acid, cocaine, PCP and shit. And I just, I never did any of that stuff, but it was only because of music I didn't experiment with it. Because I remember thinking, I can take acid and be scared as fuck in my room thinking ghosts are coming out of the ceiling, which is what happened to one of my friends. He called me and shit. Or I could just listen to the new Biggie record and try to scratch, right. try to learn how to scratch. And I, mm. I chose the scratching in the Biggie record for that day. So like
3: mm, immediately, you know. like when you were, when you got the turntables, went to get records, what, what was it? You were just into the scratching, the mixing or everything, just everything you were just,
5: I don't know. You know, I think every DJ kind of knows if you really love music, it's kind of just, it calls to you. You don't really understand why it's calling mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just in you for some reason. And but you, you got, got
3: to, you got so focused at age yeah. 12, 13, you were like sunning you, you were, like, really good to the point where you could do clubs.
5: Yeah, I mean, I got my first radio job when I was 14. But, but like I said, it was just – I was just following what was call, calling to me. And I think a lot of the – I'm not completely against education, but that's one of the problems, I think, is that it doesn't really teach you to go look for what calls to you. It teaches you to fit in sort of this box so we all fit into this box and mm. we're all supposed to be good people to pay taxes. And rather than trying to figure out what do you actually love and how can you – make you know make money from that yeah but at the same time feel fulfilled in life
0: there's some quotes of the road podcast that just stick with you for me it's why am i here this is a direct quote from rock to in episode 26 where he explains why at the height of his career he walked away from it all
6: i'd always been um troubled <laughs> as a as a like a, a child and i kind of you know, I, I was young. I stopped doing drugs and this sort of music, DJing, sort of hip-hop and the whole thing became my outlet. Right. And I always felt like this DJ thing, if I can like get this popping to, you know, as, as get as big as I would like to get or be as successful as i like to be, a sort of like things that have always plagued me, the like personal... Personal stuff that's always plagued me won't plague me anymore. Right. But as, you know, the E! True Hollywood story has told us time and time again that no matter how successful you are... You are who you are. You are who you are. Your demons will follow you. So I was on the road with Suji. I had a great time. We had so much fun. But that stuff wasn't changing and I was unhappy. And I also woke up one day... And it's like, I got into this business to never have a job. And there's a fucking guy in a suit with a fucking earpiece in telling me what to do. You a- know?
3: AKA a- the manager. Yeah, yeah,
6: whatever. And I was like, well, how did this happen? I, in, I understand, especially more now than ever, like on some level, there's always going to be someone that tells you what to do. Like the client or whoever. But it was bad at certain venues. It was really bad. Like well, there's a guy in it with it in a fucking lame suit with an earpiece who doesn't understand what you're doing and doesn't understand that you're a professional telling you that what to do.
3: Well, here's what happened. In New York, obviously, you know, bottle service, nightclubs, the scene that we were in, right? Was bubbling. But it was it was still the early f- first five years of it, something like that.
6: Yeah. The early stages so,
3: all of a sudden, it became a product.
6: It was fast and loose for a
3: while. Yeah. And then it became corporate. It became a product. And ultimately, when it became a product, it started to leak to other cities and states. And it became, yeah, like corporate. It yeah. became like anything in America it became corporate. Yeah. yeah. And that's when you started having, when they started not trusting the DJs, yeah. when they started saying, well, I'm, I'm the money guy. I'm, yeah. I own this shit. And, or the manager's like, I run this shit. And I I know better than you when in actuality, it was very, it was a new concept for a lot of these cities and a lot of these venues and the managers, you know what
6: I mean? And nightlife, like obviously you want to make money, but nightlife, if you don't put, you, you can't put money first. Like it can't be numbers. If you, if you run it all on numbers, you don't have magic. And so there has to be somebody. There has to be some bit of, we're just going to do this because we want to. Well, you
3: you say all the time that bottle service killed, well, killed nightlife,
6: kind of, right? I mean, kind of. I mean, the 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 marquee group people, they found a way to really monetize it, and they really tightened the screws, and made everything really corporate, and a lot of people followed them down that road Mm -hmm. of we're going to run it like this and this. And there's no room for magic when there's a, you know, I used to walk into the club and there'd be this, they have these meetings with the bottle girls and they're like, did you have so, and did you fill out a comment card about so-and-so what they liked, like what they drank. And and it's like, these are the things that good nightlife people do. They know what you drank or what the important people do and this and that. Right. But, the way they were doing it was so corporate and so just so. Ugh.
2: Right. Yeah,
6: was <laughs> like the Steve Rubell at studio 54, he fucking knew what everybody wanted and knew what people wanted and drank. He's like a crazy guy that kept it all in his head. Not like a weird, you know, like just manager managing a file of information on clients. They just did it in this way that, sanitize things mm-hmm. so anyways what were we talking about before that well i was talking well we were kind of talking about shit oh the the 2000s I mean, my journey yeah. through the thing The so, yeah so so i'm on the road with sujit like things are going good i'm sort of getting the name up getting the rates up slowly and you know am before am started deckstar he threw me a couple gigs and then he he um and then he started Techstar and then it was like, am like, come over with us. And i was just like, "Ugh, I'm gonna just stay over here. It was the whole thing is just, it's got so out of, con- not out of control, but just not for me. I was just unhappy. Like the music was so, I don't know, it was just weird. The whole thing wasn't, I was just over it kind of. And I was over getting on the fucking plane and I just wanted, I was like fat, I needed to lose some weight. And I just wanna like hang out in New York and skateboard and like, you know, DJ here and there.
3: Was it, was it that there was no downtime in between? It was just like a constant machine that just kept going and you it, were on the road? And- it's a
6: constant machine. And I, like when I, when I first started, like I remember in the rave scene um, when I was real young, like you know, I was like 15, 16 going to this shit. But you heard someone's tape, like you heard a DJ's tape or you saw them play. You're like I really liked the music that he played. I really liked what happened that night. Like I want to see him or her or whoever. I want to see them again. And then you hear some DJ's thing, and you I, I want to like I like the music, I like what they do. I want to go see them. The this the oh the two thousands bottle thing was not about us. Like people didn't come to the club to see me or to see. They came to see AM, right? Mm-hmm. Like AM could tell sell tickets, but they weren't there to see us. Like, and it, I got to this weird place where, like, I'm making this money, and it's uh, kind of felt like a little bit of a pyramid schemey kind of thing, where it's like, what are we really selling them? And, like, why am I going to this place for $2,000 when, like, they maybe can't afford this, and, like, nobody's coming because of, of me, so, like, why am I here? Like, why why am I here?
3: So, it was, was it kind of like... Oh, he's a white dude. He's kind of like AM. He's on that rock shit. So we're gonna book Rockticon. Well,
6: I no. I mean, I think there's people that book me. They're like, "Well, you're great. Like right. we like having you at our club." But there's also Suja's thing was always like, "We'll get this. We'll just get the money. Just go get that check," and which is absolutely an appropriate way to do business. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's how you do business. But I'm like, so I think, I think he. I think if he had been more selective about where they sent me and kind of, I'm, you know, a diva, like you said. And so when you start sending me to, you know, like
3: Milwaukee, te- or, oh, know,
6: Milwaukee like- was actually fine. But I don't I don't even know if I ever went there. <laughs> I don't even mind doing that stuff, but it's just the times where I would get up and be like, what am I doing here? Like, why am I here? And this makes no sense. Like nobody's here to see me. And I'm sure, yeah, I'm going to get this check, but like, what am I doing here? There was like a lot of those times and it just was not sweet. And I had my own personal stuff going on and I just, I got, it got boring. It was really exciting to put the music together. It was really exciting when Serato first came out to like cut this, edit the song up and do this and look at this thing we'd done for a long time from this new angle. It just got fucking boring. And... I just didn't, I didn't feel fulfilled and there was, there was pressure from AM to like come do the Dexter thing. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to maybe like get into doing more like house stuff and I just kind of lost it. I I was already burned out and I kind of had a summer of 2008. I didn't do much. I did, I worked Saturdays at, in the Hamptons and I got great money for that you got me great money and I, that was kind of like the only gig I did that summer. I did a, a few other things here and there but I was making like two grand Saturday, every Saturday night. I kind of didn't have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. I did a little of this, a little of that and I made good money and had I lost a bunch of weight. I was skateboarding all the time and then it started to pick back up and they were, I was talking, I was at Tao and Omar was kind of like, I was driving around with him somewhere and he was like, yeah, we, we should maybe start really using you again and blah, blah, blah and then they booked me for, I can't remember. I think it was for Tao. I go to get on the plane and the flight's delayed. And, the stu- and I'm like, I want to go home. And I was thinking about Vegas. I was like, there's tons of DJs there. Somebody can do it. Crooked could do it. And Whoa. I just, I asked the stewardess. I was like, I'm going to get off. She's like, you can't get off. I was like, the door is open. I can see it. And I was like, I'm getting off. So I just got off the plane. I said, I'm not going to make it to Vegas. And that was kind of the, that was, that was it. I still worked here and there, but I was Basically, like, don't book, like, run the shit by me. I'm probably not, I'm probably gonna say no. So, I I remember that morning
3: and you were texting me. Yeah, I'm I'm headed to Vegas. I'm like, all right, cool. And you'd be like, I'm on the plane. I'm like, dope. And like, I think I'm walking off the plane. (laughs) (laughs) And And I'm like, I was like, what? I was like, yo, come through. And like, I just walked off the plane and I'm just <laughs> like yo what the fuck is going you're like I'm done I'm done and I was just like the fuck is going on and I think I called and he was just like I'm done I'm tired I don't want to do this shit and and I was just like fuck man and I remember talking
6: to Neva like yo man I think this dude's burnt out <laughs> I was <laughs> like, definitely like burnt out but at that time I wasn't even burnt out I had a, like a good summer I would broke up with this girl that had I, I shouldn't have been dating for a long time and things were good. I was, but yeah, I don't know. I just, it was just not for me. It's like still not for me in a way. Yeah. I found myself in LA. I was fucking broke. And I was making good money in the late two thousands and mm-hmm. I slow, it slowly died. And I haven't, I've never made good money like I did back then. I mean, I don't make still don't make good, really great money at all. And so she was fucked up and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And I went and I talked to everyone I know out here and I was like, people are like, well, you could be like PA on a TV show or you could maybe intern at one of these studios and everything was just like, oh, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like a job for a 20-year-old It's so hungry. Right. And I'm old. I don't want to do it. I'm old and lazy and think I've done some shit. I'm not trying to go be greenhorn. You know, I'm not, you know, the fucking deadliest catch. <laughs> I'm not trying to, like, make the fucking bait and cut the heads off the fish and shit. Like, nah. And so it was either go in at the very bottom somewhere at, like, 36 years old or work again. And so I was like, okay. And I did, um, you know, I scrounged up some work. You
3: started DJing.
6: Yeah, started DJing and Dizzo hooked it up. He was the one who was like, come to Miami, I got you. And after not working for years and I was a miserable bastard, I was so nervous and like grouchy about having to do it. And then my whole attitude about it started to change. Why? How so? Because it's, I... I've been working at Delilah a lot in Hollywood. Yeah. I'm there to do a job. I have a talent. I'm there to use that talent to do the job that they want me to do. And it's not about me. And it doesn't, it doesn't, say. it isn't, has nothing to do with who I am or like how I live my life. It's just how I make money. Right. And I also have sort of been, the, another thing I was like, I don't want to DJ again, blah, 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 blah. And I realized one day, it's like, I've never DJed in Los Angeles, really. I don't know what it's like to be a working DJ here, so I can't truly say I don't wanna do it. I'd know what it's like to work in New York till four in the morning, and I didn't wanna do that again, but I'd never done it here, and I didn't know what it was gonna be like, so I couldn't truly say I don't wanna do it. So I started working again, and I made some mistakes, and it's been okay, but I don't, I just try to do the best job. I noticed out here they bother you less. There's less managers in your face. There's a little less. The SBE people are a little more like a marquee but then I've been working for the HWO guys and they're much, they're kind of a little groovier. They don't give me a hard time. Yeah. They sort of know I know what I'm doing. And Delilah's cool because it's like a restaurant and the young guys can't really play there because it's a vibe. It's all vibe. Mm -hmm. And some nights you got to hammer, some nights you got to, you know, just chip away at it. And uh, you kind of
3: getting back where you kind of you missed it a little bit appreciation
6: like are you you know what I mean yeah I mean you know what I'm talking about I know what you're talking about I really liked writing um and I wouldn't have minded if I'd stayed on that course but I I just I had to put food on the table and I had someone depending on me and it was I just had to start DJing and so, I mean, I—I I don't know, like—but is
3: like you said? There was a good feeling where, like, I have a talent, yeah, and it was kind of like you were denying the talent. You're Shh, you, absolutely, absolutely, and I just always
6: wondered why you did that. I don't know. Why do I do anything? It's fucking crazy.
0: Most DJs find themselves running in the nightlife or entertainment industry circles. And sometimes it could be hard to know who your real friends are. In episode 24, the iconic radio personality and DJ Cypher Sounds shared how he learned this lesson when he left the radio industry.
7: Well, here's the thing about me. I don't. I My life changed a couple of years ago when I learned um, not to take things personally. Uh-huh. So on some my, on some like mental health, meditation, uh wellness type shit, I never take anything personally, right? I don't I don't get offended at anything. If somebody hates me, I don't really care, it doesn't bother me. But I'm literally confused about the Global Spin Awards. Uh, I get I never get mentioned. I never even get invited. I never get asked to come through and I'm like on on the DJ front, I've done so much for the culture. I don't even get like a. I'm not. I don't care if I win or not. An invite, right? So I you, never even know when they are happening. So you never got invited to. Never, 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 never got invited. Never got a. How do you get invited? Is it an email? <laughs> well, is it something in the mail?
3: We, 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 were, we were actually confused, and we were wondering what is like. We were trying to trace or trying to understand what is the f- financial backing, or what is the benefit of yeah. this whole
0: this of whole the, thing? Yeah, yeah. Like who's yeah.
3: benefiting from this shit? Like, and then who's involved, well, and how does that work? It's, it seems very political, man. Like, yeah, but but what?
7: But what politic group? Like right. what? I what don't. Group? I don't. We don't understand. Right, no, no. What we party don't,
3: is benefiting? We don't understand. Like the nominees. We don't understand yeah. shit. Like, the like criteria. We like, did not like, understand because it, it, yeah. it, it just kind of just seemed like the right PR motherfuckers hit up yeah. that are in this circle. We're right, just like yo, right, these, right. these are the DJs we pick out. I mean, you know, does it have
7: anything to do with Ciroc? Is Ciroc making money from this? I know it's uh, a Revolt behind it. Yeah, now it is. And Sean Prez is like yeah, the head of it. Sean right? Sean Prez. I remember when he. Well, I apparent i will tell you after we talk about it. But, okay. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm—I never brag, I never boast. I'm just curious—the stuff I've done for this hip hop game, specifically DJ culture. Yeah, yeah. Why don't I get any accolades or
3: recognized for it? So I was just ranting on my Instagram. Yeah. But we thought it was legitimate because. I mean, for us, I mean, you know, and recently we we even saw like, uh, I guess it was uh, the Breakfast Club, yeah. Where you even talking about shit that we didn't even know about? Where we were, where you broke records and shit like that.
7: That's that's one of my biggest flaws is I don't tell people enough all the stuff I've done. Right, Mm -hmm. but the those people know the 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 (laughs) the Boys people know
3: (laughs) they were there. Yeah. They're like Sean Prez is from New York, but is it is it all is it maybe that you're not out in a circle like yeah, like, hundred oh, like mingling and doing all of that shit, yeah, right? especially now, yeah, especially since I left radio, I
7: definitely don't mingle in the music industry DJ world. I'm still friends with a lot of people, and you know when you leave a radio station is when you figure out who your friends are and who is just your business associate trying to get
3: plays. And yeah, stuff. but
7: and also I understand that. It doesn't hurt me that you, oh, you weren't really my friend. We worked together. I worked at a radio station. You worked for a record label. Your job was to schmooze me and get me to play records. Right. Some people, it was more than that. I've been to some people's weddings and, or their you know, personal parties. And sometimes it was just business. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah, I definitely don't politic at all. I don't care. I don't like it. I think it's crazy
3: <laughs> just how humble you are, man. Just like- sorry. Nah man That's good man It's good
2: and it's bad though I mean You
3: know No I'm just saying like
2: I
7: I've had a talk with myself On how I want to live my life And nothing is more Important than my happiness Cause there was a lot of those times All them stories I'm telling you There was a lot of times Where I was depressed And upset about life And You know I didn't ever feel like Suicidal or anything like that But I was like down in the dumps and it's not till i figured out who i was and how i wanted to live my life that i became super happy right but like the guy shake who i was telling you took the credit for rick ross yeah he ended up killing himself
2: yeah rp shake you
7: know what i'm saying so you know i i don't know why i don't know if he had problems or i don't know what happened but i know that it hurt a lot that This guy that gave me all this great advice. Another person, Chris Lighty, used to give me great advice. And he
3: passed away. Rest in peace, Chris Lighty. So
7: I'm always, I feel life is precious. And I would like, and then I also turned down a lot of shit, right? Rihanna, she did tell me to be her DJ and go on a road with her. And I wanted to stick at the radio. And then Max Glazer, right? Yeah, I gave it it to him. All my people know, like, Max Glazer is my brother. Like as soon as she as soon as I said I can't go, I said I got the perfect guy for you, right? Pitbull asked me to be his DJ, but all this is because I was so loyal to Hot ninety seven. I wanted to stay on the air, um, so I don't have regrets. But I'm just saying, like it's it's also my fault. Like I could have went on the road with Rihanna and. Produced for her and DJed for her and been at these huge, right? you know, fucking well, I mean, it wasn't ocean. your
3: fault, but I mean, you created such a huge legacy on Hot 97 too at the same yeah, time, man. That's
7: what I'm saying, but it just, it's at the end of the day, my last two years of Hot 97 were miserable. That was
2: like, what, uh, miserable. 20, four, 2013, I left 2014?
7: February 2015. Okay. So well, it was miserable the last two years of a place that I loved going to every day of my life. Why? Why? just new management sh- getting shifted around ebro getting shifted around angie leaving mr c leaving it was cra- it was fucking crazy it was like it was like my home like my dad died my stepdad came in he was a dick you know what i mean like
2: yeah. and i moved
7: out i was pissed off i moved out and all this stuff was happening but then i talked to myself i said yo none of this is worth The happiness, right? Like, I have, like, I know what I want to do. I like going home, watching TV, and eating chicken wings. Like, I don't like popping bottles at the club. I don't wear jewelry.
3: I don't judge anyone who does. It's just not my thing. I heard you speaking about this. I think it was on um, The Breakfast Club. About, like, the eating, like, not a disorder, but, like...
7: Oh, no, I have an eating disorder.
3: (laughs) But I have, like, the kind of the same thing where my weight fluctuates up and down. And because I overeat yeah. out of stress, but also to keep myself up so I can keep working. Yeah. And then also like on some like weird reward shit. Yeah. Where you like overeat. I don't You know what I'm saying? So I go through the same shit too.
7: Yeah. There's a bunch of the eating disorder. There's like so many. And people don't even like, you just get made fun of. Like, ah, you fat. You fat fuck. Like I'm hurting
2: inside. <laughs> <laughs> it goes back to the depression. You did the 40 day reset. Is yeah. that what it's called? I did that before. Well, what did yeah, that you know? what did that diet consist of? It's like um Cause I remember you used to put up like uh uh chipotle plates, which is like yeah. tomato
7: on the steak. Yeah. It's like it's like 40-day reset is uh a fruit in the morning, orange apple, strawberry, or grapefruit. Then two and a half hours later you gotta eat a protein and a vegetable, like a some steak and tomatoes or chicken and cucumbers or fish and celery and then another two hours you eat another fruit but it can't be the same fruit you ate before and then another two and a half hours you eat another protein and vegetable but it can't be what you ate earlier and it just keeps shocking your body and every two hours but
2: it's hard how much did you That's lose on that I was like, oh,
7: 55 pounds Fun. in 40 days uh, maybe a little more oh shit i was fucking up cheating Yo, oh, that that's, lost a, that's lot. a lot of that's work, though. Lot, right?
2: Fifty five is a lot, bro. Yeah, yeah. Ah, it?
7: Damn.
2: I went from two fifty to one ninety five. Damn,
7: is that fifty yeah. five? Yeah, yeah. You also <laughs> had a uh, flex doing it too, right? Yeah, flex got into flex is better than me. Flex kills it. But the thing is, flex doesn't have an eating disorder. That's mm. the thing. The diet. If you are good with food and you rock that forty day reset, you. When my problem is the other problem I have, so it, it hurts when I try to lose weight. What what is that? Your just your like compulsive overeating. Yeah, it's like even when I'm not like,
2: it's overeating. And one sit down overeating is different. Like, whole day
7: it's different kinds. Like binge eating. Like if I'm upset, I might eat. But then if I reward myself, I eat. It's like both ways. Yeah, yeah. and like you, you can't like if I get a um, a thing of Oreos like with the three rows I'm probably gonna eat the whole thing <laughs> double stuffed. so when I get Oreos I only get like the small pack you know yeah. what I'm saying cause otherwise I'll just eat the whole thing
3: <laughs> so wait like I sneak I hide food I sneak it shh don't tell nobody <laughs> so this, this this whole depression shit that you were talking about before it kinda like led up to like comedy or did it just kind of all work itself out where no I went to therapy
7: for years I went to therapy and uh, therapy helped a lot. And then uh, I was doing, we didn't even talk anything about comedy. Comedy was happening all throughout this. How did it go hand in hand with the DJing though? Oh, comedy and DJing is almost exactly the same. So the lifestyle is the same. Like a lot of DJs and comedians like stay out all night, drinking, wake up late. You know what I'm saying? Also uh, when you read a room, Right? right, like so. As a DJ, you walk into the club, you're like, "Oh, there's a lot of lot of drunk white girls in here." You know what I'm saying? Right. Or Oh, this look kind of like this look a little hood tonight, or whatever it is. Or this this is kind of corporate. You know what I'm saying? You like, oh, maybe I should play clean versions. You know. So when you do when you do comedy, you look at the room and you're like, "Oh, there's a lot of tourists," or there's like you know there's a hood crowd. Let me I gotta be louder, more rambunctious. You know what I'm saying? Or like this like. A corporate event, I gotta keep it clean. And it's all about timing. Like the way you drop the records at a certain point is the way you pause when people are laughing and you drop the punchline. You know what I'm saying? It's it's like that it was in a stage press, like if you a DJ that talks on the mic, when I used to go on stage, I didn't have the fear like of new comedians. Like new comedians when they start, they're like
2: Hello, hi.
7: It's like, like yo, what's up? What's up? Grab the mic, and just do it. That's very.
3: Loud. It's also like the way you like organize the jokes, right? Like yeah. your opening joke, yeah, like you know, like and then, and then I'm gonna end it with like a big, like with a big joke, like yeah. with my biggest joke and shit yeah. like that, yeah.
7: Or or the guy before you just bombed, and you're like, yo, let me start with the fire. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, oh my god, this guy just ruined the whole night. Yeah. You got to come on with the hits. You know what I'm saying? It's all that stuff, like organizing it, it's like playlists.
0: I normally don't take requests, but this was a special one. Crooked wanted us to go back to episode 86 featuring Boogie Blind, where he learned a huge lesson as a DJ. I guess all I could say is never underestimate the relationship between a DJ and their speakers. I'll let Crooked explain the rest.
3: Hey, Yo, Blind, I got a story. Do you, I don't know if you remember this. I'm gonna put you on blast. I'm gonna put you on blast. Yeah, please. I'm gonna put you on blast. I don't know if you remember this shit.
2: Are you gonna talk about the story when you didn't? You told me that somebody took the speakers, and I was, I was. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait,
3: wait, 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 wait. Let me get my shit (laughs) off. Pause. (laughs) Let me, let me tell the story. Spicy. Yo, this is the kind of relationship that me and Blind have though. It's pretty funny. So I think we were. I was coming up into the DJ shit, and then this is when we were like all just like grinding grind like trying to get any gigs we could and my boy was opening some club or something and he didn't have no speakers and then i was like blonde can i borrow your speakers yeah and i don't think i borrowed the amp but i borrowed the speakers right yeah Yeah, yeah. so then (laughs) so then i picked up so i picked up the speakers and i did the gig and i did and then they were just like yo we want you to come back next week so i I was there for a little bit and i told blonde yo i'm gonna bring back your speakers but it seems like they're barring it or whatever Mm -hmm. so I ended up doing like a couple weeks and then the club got shut down and I couldn't get access to the speakers but, <laughs> but during that time... I remember this. And then, the, oh, di- But listen... But,
1: but
2: never told me this.
3: Could yeah, yeah did- I never told him. So, so it was completely my fault. You know I what like I mean? If
2: somebody jacks you for the speakers, tell me. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we'll go get the speakers. Like, I'll help you get the speakers back. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Bring the goon squad and go get the speakers. Yeah. No, but they they shut down the club. Something happened. I couldn't get to the speakers. But I was, like, DJing, and I was caught up in my own shit. And Blind was like, yo, man, I need those speakers. You know, I got... I got events I could do with those speakers and blah blah blah, and I was on my shit where I wasn't really like feeling. I was just like yo, like I was in my own world. I'm like I'm grinding was right curving now. Me. Yeah, a little bit. I got curved. Yeah, no wonder so, you remember well, his
2: mom's house number. You kept dialing that shit. I need my speakers, man. You didn't call the club on that. Well, the, so it was it was just some
3: shady shit where the promoter didn't have like he didn't have access to the club. Mm-hmm. But he was he was using the club space,
2: so he dubbed you for the speakers, and you ain't tell
3: me. No, but I don't know what happened to the speakers. I don't know what you happened. So the so so
2: sneakers, he, I mean, so
3: somebody took the speakers. No, no, I, I couldn't even get to the like. I couldn't so even the, get to the space to pick up the speaker. But the guy was still doing parties at the space. No, 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 he he got shut down. So the club owner was like, "Yo, pay me whatever," or like you like, and then he was probably thinking that those speakers were. The promoters yeah uh-huh. so he's like well i'm a, i'm holding on to your speakers oh oh so you was know you know so like holding them oh. for ransom. clear case of extortion so he got his money back right and oh. then my promote and then my boy who was the promoter was like yo i can't get access in there so like i don't know what you want me to do mm-hmm. and then i was like hounding him and then boogie was hounding me but at the same time i was i was starting to like work a little bit more so i was kind of like just stuck in my own world mm-hmm. and then <laughs> yeah. i forgot yo there was like the Ellis I don't know man it was like straight up there was just from your block in West Harlem I don't know who the fuck it was it was just he was the dude that used to finance shit I used to see him all the time but he used to finance a lot of shit in like in the in like uptown and then I got a call from him like yo they called your crib yeah so he I don't know what to call him man like he was like
2: the middle man no
3: he's not a middle man he's like the, the hitman what do you call it? What would you call him, man? The enforcer? Yeah, the enforcer. I don't know what's going on. Like, here. I don't, the I don't know where we're going with this. Like, person. so, like in the hood, yeah, he was, was the muscle. He was, was the muscle. He was the tricep. Like, he yeah. was the muscle. He was the businessman. Where, yeah, yeah. where, business.
2: where are we going with this?
1: I don't. really want to reflect. Was the I don't want to reflect on this. guy. <laughs> no, this is reflection time. <laughs> I don't want to reflect. He was that show. a DJ. He was the collector.
3: We put it this way: like, let's say they're like in the hood. Let's say there's like a Nino Brown or something. He, he, was, was Mo- no, he, was he was the G. money No, he was the 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 man. Yeah, yeah. he, nah, nah, he was G. Money. Like <laughs> the, <okay>. G. Money <laughs> called me up or oh oh something, right? Oh
2: uh-huh. We really doing this, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, like yeah, he's the, 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 the man. But Reflect, so then, Reflect.
3: So, so then G. Money called me up. He's like, "Yo, what's up?" And I'm like, "Yo, what's up? What, what's up? What's good?" He's like, "Nah, yeah, what's good?" And I'm like, "Yo, like, yo, <laughs> yo what's, what's up?" He's like, "Yo, I want to know why you fucking up. You fucking up right now. You 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 know." He's like, "Yo, I'm you know you want some doing some stupid shit. What? Why you fucking up?" And I was like confused. I'm like, "Yo, what did I do?" I was like, "What are you talking about?" And then he, and then I was just like, "You know what we talking about, motherfucker." And, he, and I was just like, and I was like, "Yo, what the fuck is going on?" Like, <laughs> I never did shit. Oh shit! And then all of a sudden, I, I think one. he put blind on the phone, and it was like, I was like, I was like, blind. What the fuck is going on? He's like, he's like, I just yo, I need my speakers, man. And I was like, wow my man got goon. g money he called up g money the coon squad was on your head and i was like yo i said like yo you need to speak it's like and he was like it was just like yo man we ain't fucking around i was like yo blah how the fuck you gonna call me like this and and bring g <laughs> and bring g money into the shit you know what i'm saying <laughs> and then and then g money's talking to me like he's like yo you need to shit yo blah i don't know i don't like the way crook is talking right now <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yo, I, he's like, crooked. I'm about to come up there and slap the shit out you right now. Nah. And I was like, yo, I was like, it was a part of me. I was like, yo, I was going to say something. I was like, nah, this is G money. I can't really say nothing to this dude, <laughs> this right? G-Money. And I kept directing everything to blind. I'm like, yo, blind, how you doing me like this, man? I was like, yo, blind. And then, but I did realize something. I was being completely selfish and inconsiderate about this dude's hustle. And I was fucking up his hustle and his flow. So, so I ended I, up getting I, some more speakers, but we didn't have we didn't really have to reflect on this. No, no, nah, nah, but uh, <laughs> no, no. But I learned I learned an important lesson because I learned an important lesson because I didn't really see it as a big deal because I was like, yo, those aren't my speakers. I'm I'm not making money on a steadily basis, but you was, mm. and it took me to that point to realize that you went to G Money to be like, yo, man, I'm, this G- this motherfucker <laughs> stopping my money, and I ain't really trying to like you know quick as my man. I ain't trying to fuck him up, but I need to wake his ass up. That I need these speakers, mm. so then I just kind of realized like, yo, blind man, you know, like let's go get your speakers, man. And I went and cop and we cop some new speakers for him. But I learned that shit. Like I was just like, yo, man, I was just, I realized I was just being. Selfish. I didn't mean
2: to do that. I, I really was not no, but that, I be, think it was
3: it was like you know, it's like I, I wasn't man, trying to be tough, Tony. You was trying to get your like, speakers,
2: though, yeah. man. Shit. I would have done it. Oh. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn. I would have done it? Wait, what? Damn. Damn. This is harsh, man. <laughs> we shouldn't be reflecting on this.
0: This has been the Best of the Road Podcast, Volume 2, Inspiring Stories, presented by DJ City and BeatSource. I'm Nudia. I've been your guest host. Don't worry. Uh, D-Miles, Jamie, Neva, and Crooked will be back next week with all new episodes. It's been super fun. Filling in hanging out, (laughs) and I'll see you.